Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, I am so glad to be here today with you. I'm a little bit sad, though. Janie's not here with me. We have a really crazy schedule right now, and we're having to both go in different directions today. But I felt passionately enough about our topic that I still wanted to uh, share some ideas with you today. But before we get to that, kind of exciting news for us, but uh, we're going to be the educators on an Alaskan cruise this summer, June 2nd to 9th. So if there's anyone out there that would be interested in something like that, uh, this is going to be hosted and directed by Reed and Diane Robison. They're good friends of ours who have been to Alaska and cruised that area many, many times. They're going to be so good. But on that, uh, on that cruise, we're going to do a lot of uh, workshops when we're at sea, on marriage, on family, on parenthood. Whatever it takes to preserve the family, we'll be talking about it. And uh, once again, if you're interested, you could email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com and we can send you the information. But it will be June 2nd through 9th on the Celebrity Solstice, which I understand is an incredible ship. Well, enough of that for now. Now let's get to the topic today. You know, our podcast on preserving the family really focuses in on four key areas. One is marriage. One is parenting or family life. The third would be grandparenting. And the fourth would be mental health. And today's kind of a mental health day. And we are going to talk about stress and fear a little bit and anxiety. But one of the things I've been thinking about recently, and some of you have thought about this before, I'm sure, But the world that we live in today is so different. We know that. It's so complex. There's so many issues. But we're also very safety conscious. I think you would be aware of that. We're very safety conscious. We walk our children to school or we ride to school. We all have our helmets on, which is great. We uh, have our sanitizer gel. We've got our seat belts. We've got the lap bar down. And we take every precaution. Playgrounds are rubberized and protected and I just remember how different it was growing up, and I know some of you do too, but when I was growing up, someone always had a cast. Remember that? Someone always had a cast that we were signing because someone had a broken arm or a broken leg. Someone always had stitches in our group that we ran around with. That was always my brother. I think my brother has more stitches than anyone I've ever met. Always getting injured. Always had scabs. I just don't see kids with scabs anymore, but we always had scabs in the old days, right? And then I look at some of the experiences we had. I mean, most of you remember, and by the way, I am not saying that this is better, that it was better in the old days at all. I'm actually almost marvel at how reckless we were. I mean, I literally remember driving in the back of a pickup truck on the way to baseball practice in elementary school. This pickup truck was probably going 50 or 60 miles an hour on a curved road you know, here we are in Texas, and there's five or six boys sitting up on the very edge of the pickup truck bed, not in the bed, on the outside of the bed. Our feet are in the bed, and we're sitting on that uh, that top kind of, you know, section of the, of the pickup truck bed, 
you know, and wow. And I look at that now and think if you saw someone driving in a pickup truck with six little boys or seven or eight, just sitting on the outside edge of the pickup truck, you know, hanging over the wheel going 60 miles an hour, I mean, they'd be arrested immediately. But that's kind of how we did it in those days. You know, once again, how many of you remember uh, on the playground, you know, the merry-go-round? I mean, the merry-go-round was incredible, right? And what did you do? You pushed it as fast as you possibly could. You ran around in circles as fast as you could. You're completely dizzy by the time you hop on the merry-go-round. Then you're trying to kind of walk across the merry-go-round while it's going like 900 miles an hour, right? And then you get ejected and you just fly out into the gravel and uh, everyone's like, oh my gosh, did you see how far he flew? And then we're kind of measuring it to say, oh man, yeah, yesterday Ronnie flew even double that, right? I mean, that was it was those kind of things. It was climbing up two stories, it felt like, on the ladder for the slide, made out of complete metal. And and once again, I'm even I'm even remembering yard darts. Does anyone remember yard darts, the game? I mean, what a great bright idea that we're gonna throw these uh, darts that could probably take down an elephant, right? Uh, but we're gonna be throwing these all over our backyard. And now so many of the games that we played in those in, in, back in those days are just outlawed by now. And for good reason, right? People, people have uh, been hurt severely. But it's just a reminder of how much we've changed and maybe how protective we've become here in the days that we live in now, which in some ways has probably had a detrimental effect on our children. And so we live in a day where there's just a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of fear. In fact, at a Brigham Young University devotional not many years ago, Elder Kevin Worthen, President Kevin Worthen, said, fear not. And then he said this, he says, by my count, this commandment is repeated 76 times in the scriptures. And, and I don't know if we ever think of, and this is me breaking out of the quote for a minute, but I don't know if we ever think of the idea of fear not as a commandment more than a statement, but it really is a commandment. Now back to President Worthen. The commandment was the first thing spoken by the angels who announced Christ's birth to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. It was also the first thing spoken by the angels who announced Christ's resurrection to the woman at the empty tomb. It is a commandment that is found so frequently in the scriptures that we may not recognize its profound importance, especially for the times in which we live and the stage of life in which you students, who he was talking to at the time, find yourselves. And the command is a simple two-word injunction to fear not. And then President Worthing continues. We need to recognize that the feeling of despair and hopelessness that characterizes irrational fear is a tool of the adversary. Indeed, it is one of his primary tools. And I am convinced that just as we have Articles of faith, Satan and his minions must have articles of fear to aid them in their work. And they might read something like this. We believe that the first principles of despair and damnation are doubt, doubt God, doubt yourself, doubt others, and most of all, be afraid. Be afraid of the future. And I think that's a great, great observation by President Worthen as we talk about fear. President Hinckley said that fear comes not of God, but rather of the adversary. 
In fact, we quote, quote John 8, 44, that Satan is a great liar. In fact, he is the father of lies. And he can whisper ideas into our minds that are full of doubt and fear. Darkness, confusion, doubt, and fear certainly don't come from the Lord, who is full of light and love and hope and faith and optimism. Now, by the way, I'm quoting just a little bit from an article I wrote years ago in the Ensign, October 2018, called Conquering Fear with Faith, Hope, and Charity. And there's probably more to that that I'll cite from later at another date. This is from George Q. Cannon. I'm calling all of this Theological Underpinnings of Fear. He said that whenever darkness fills our minds, we may know that we are not possessed with the Spirit of God. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are filled with joy, with peace, with happiness, no matter what our circumstances may be. For it is a spirit of cheerfulness and happiness, and the Lord has given us the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is our privilege to have that Holy Ghost reign within us, so that from morning till night and from night until morning, we shall have the joy, the light, and the revelation thereof. Well, I love this idea that George Q. Cannon teaches that whenever darkness fills our minds, and we could even say, uh, you know, whenever despair, whenever doubt, whenever fear fills our minds, we can know for sure that we are not filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, I think sometimes when we panic, sometimes we have uh, fearful thoughts and ideas, that we often believe that those fearful thoughts and ideas are real and they're, they're legitimate. And how about this? How many of you have ever had this experience? You're driving off on a long trip, leaving your home. You've only been gone for a few minutes. And then you say to yourself, oh my gosh, what did I leave on? I think I left the oven on. I think I left the curling iron on or the water faucet or the front door unlocked or something. You turn around and you drive back and only to find out that none of those things are real. The water's shut off, the curling iron's unplugged, the oven's off. All the things that you worried about weren't even true. So where did that where did that inspiration come from? Did it come from God? I don't think so. God's the author of truth. God wouldn't lie to us. Our Heavenly Father wouldn't lie and tell us that the oven's on when it's not. Or he doesn't play tricks on us. He doesn't want us to drive all the way back home just to say, I just tricked you, just wanted to see if you're paying attention. I think those things... We may think that we conjure up, but maybe consider this, that maybe Satan drives some of those thoughts occasionally, right? God's voice stills us. It leads us. It reassures us. It enlightens us. It encourages us. It comforts us. It calms us. It convicts us. Satan's voice rushes us, pushes us, frightens us, confuses us discourages us, worries us, obsesses us, or causes up to us to obsess, and even condemns us. Now think of President Hinckley's statement that fear is the antithesis of faith, or in other words, the complete opposite of faith. Let me share with you how I think this could work. Years ago, one of our daughters, not year, too many years ago, but when one of our daughters was in the mission field, she shared this experience that came from her mission leader. Her mission leader was sitting in their home on a quiet afternoon. And I think I have this story in my mind pretty accurate. And just the thought came to him, you have cancer. But the thought was calm and collected. 
you have cancer. And so uh, obviously this person, this individual, probably thought about that a little bit and wondered what to do. Uh, the prompting came back a time or two to reassure that, yeah, you have cancer. And so they did what I think what most of us would do. They went to the doctor. And after a full physical, the doctor turned to this individual and said, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And the individual had to say, well, actually, I have cancer. Now, that's kind of a funny thing to tell the doctor. Well, the doctor said, I don't know where you would have cancer, but you, you seem very healthy. But we could do some tests. And one of the tests that they ordered was a colonoscopy. And sure enough, this good brother had a small, tiny polyp that was cancerous in his intestines, and it was able to be removed. And that was it. He did have cancer, but it was very slight, and it was removed. Now, the cool thing after that, not long after that, is that this man and his wife were called to be mission leaders. And they were called to a country where, had that not been detected, it probably would have festered and grown and spread and he probably would have died from colon cancer, maybe even while a mission president. But the Lord is kind and the Lord is merciful. And in this case, let him know that. Now, once again, what's the purpose of me sharing that story with you? Because God's voice is calm. His voice is tranquil. It's cool. It's encouraging. It's lifting. It's building. It's not panicked. It's not rushed. And I'm just trying to make that point that when we feel panic, when we feel rushed, when we watch the news at night and feel worry and fear, that's not from God. It's just not. And so one of the things to consider is where does worry come from? And how often do the things that we worry about come true? Now, everyone, this is really interesting. But I have heard every number in the book. What is it? What percentage of things that we worry about don't ever happen? I've heard anywhere from 40% to 90% of the things that we worry about never happen. Well, kind of cool. Researchers at Penn State University just recently, this data is like maybe one or two years old, decided, hey, let's study that. Let's, let's study patients that have generalized anxiety disorder and let's determine how many of the things that they worry about actually happen. Do you want to hear the number? It's going to blow your mind. Eight. 8% of things that people worried about in that study happened, which means 92% of the things that we worry about never, ever happen, yet we view those things as if they were real, right? We just view them as, as if they were real and that they're going to happen no matter what. I can't share help but share this with you. This comes from Elder Bednar years ago. He said, do not take counsel from our fears, to not take counsel from our fears simply means that we do not permit fear and uncertainty to determine our course in life, to affect ne negatively our attitudes and behavior, to influence improperly our important decisions, or to divert or distract us from all this world that is virtuous, lovely, and of good report. To not take counsel from our fears means that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ overrules our fears and that we can press forward with a steadfastness in Him. To not take counsel from our fears means that we trust in God's guidance, assurance, and His timing in our lives. Now that was a talk that Elder David A. Bednar gave called Fear Not, I Am With Thee a few years ago. I thought that was such a great perspective. Here's another one. One of the things I've learned about our apostles is that some of them fear, that some of them have been afraid. Isn't that comforting to know that they have their issues and their challenges. 
Years ago, I was teaching at Education Week, and for this particular lecture series, I was talking about the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I would spend one day on each of those men and talking about their lives and their teachings. We just did that recently. And by the way, for more information, just a little plug, but if you wanted to, you could go to our podcast, Stand By My Servants, where we have outlined all of that, all their lives and all their teachings, if you wanted to go there. Um, But one of the things, uh, as I was doing that and preparing, and and my stake president at the time, Mike Nelson, who's married to Linda, who's the youngest daughter of Elder L. Tom Perry, when they saw that I'd be talking about Elder Perry one day, my stake president so kind and said, hey, would you like some information about Elder Perry that most people don't know. Well, of course I would. That would be incredible. And one of the things I learned about Elder Perry is that maybe there was just a little bit of anxiousness in his life. Now, I don't think he lived in fear, but if there was something that would cause a problem, he was going to try to solve that problem, especially if it was going to be dangerous to his family. So here's an example. Um, On one occasion, uh, my stake president and his wife were looking for a home And Elder Perry always wanted to come and check their home out to give the approval. And Elder Perry said, no, you can't get get this house. There's a canal down the street. Your kids can fall into the canal. No, not safe. Don't get it. On another occasion, Elder Perry read in the newspaper about a young boy, a really young boy, like a toddler, who in the wintertime was able to open the front door of his home in the middle of the night and walk out and get lost and actually froze to death. And Elder Perry was very moved by that story. And the next day, for all of his children who lived in Utah, he had deadbolt locks installed on all of their all of the doors of their homes, so that none of their children could wander off and get, you know, get lost or freeze to death. Right? So that probably sounds like someone who has a little bit of anxiousness in their life, which makes this next story incredible. Elder Perry is flying across the South Pacific, if I remember right, with his daughter Barbara. And as they're flying, there's some there's some engine trouble, and the pilot comes on and says, "Look, everyone, we've lost one engine. This is a two-engine plane, and we've lost one engine. Now, no need to fear. We can fly on one engine just fine, but it's going to take us a little bit longer to get to our destination." And according to this account, yes, there was some pandemonium on that plane. There was a lot of audible gasp. I'm sure some people were crying. People were fearful, and at that moment. And I'm just going to quote to you from the story that the, the family shared with me. Dad reclined in his chair and closed his eyes to sleep. Barb asked how he could do such a thing. And he replied, why worry about things over which you have no control? Oh, I think that's such a powerful lesson for me and for anyone who will listen, who's willing to listen. But too many times we worry about the things that we just have no control over. There was another apostle who had some worry and some fear in his life. And I think we can learn a lot from his his life and his experience. It's Elder Richard G. Scott. This story is so powerful to me that I just want to read it to you. It was a talk he gave at BYU called Making the Right Choices. And all you would have to do is Google Richard G. Scott making the right choices and you would have access to this great message. He said, the Lord has taught me a great lesson about worry that I now share with you. After completing meaningful full-time missions, my lovely my lovely Janine and I were sealed in the temple. We began life together with every expectation of happiness. I was blessed through the kindness of the Lord to obtain a job in a new highly developmental pioneer effort to place a nuclear 
power plant in a submarine. The work was fascinating, challenging, and absorbing. When combined with the natural growth experiences that come with the formation of a new family and church assignments, I found each day filled to overflowing. Within eight months, I was being examined by a doctor to determine if I had ulcers. For weeks, I returned home from work each night with a severe headache, and only after a long, quiet period of isolation could I calm my nerves sufficiently to sleep briefly and return to work the next day. I began to prayerfully consider my plight, and I'm going to back out of this just for a second and say, isn't it great that Elder Scott turns to the Lord and becomes prayerful about this? All I wanted to do was to be a worthy husband and father and honorably carry out my church and professional assignments. Yet my best efforts produced frustration, worry, and illness. In time, the Lord led me to a solution. I was prompted to divide mentally and physically, where possible, all of the challenges, tasks, and assignments given to me into two categories. Of all the things for which I felt responsibility for, but which I could do nothing to resolve, I put in a basket called worry. Then all of those things for which I had some ability to control or resolve, I put into a basket called concern. I realized I could not resolve those things in the worry basket, so I tried hard to forget them. Later in the process, I learned that putting them into the worry basket didn't mean they wouldn't be taken care of. They were resolved by those who could best handle them, and most often that was the Lord himself. The items in the concern basket were ordered in priority, and I conscientiously tried to resolve them to the best of my ability. And although I could not always fulfill all of them on schedule or to the degree of competence I desired, I did my very best. He said, I was learning as I was learning to control worry. Occasionally, I would feel my stomach muscles tighten and tension come over me. I would cease whatever I was doing and with earnest prayer for support, I would concentrate on relaxing and overcoming the barrier that worry produced in my life. I would mentally say, I am not going to do another thing until I begin to control my emotions. And over a period of time, those efforts were blessed by the Lord and I came to understand how he is willing to fortify guide and direct every phase of life. The symptoms of illness passed and I learned to face task under pressure. Isn't that a great, great experience shared by Elder Scott, one who later became an apostle on worry and how worry plagued his life and how he turned to the Lord and was given a solution. And that solution, I believe, becomes a revelation for all of us. Now, Maybe your metaphoric concern basket looks like this. I got to give a talk in sacrament meeting this coming Sunday. I've got a huge project at work due or a project with one of our kids that are due. Or if I'm a, a child or adolescent, I've got a big test coming up or a big project at school. Maybe one of our children is having a big struggle. Maybe we're having struggle with our, our parents or in-laws. Maybe there are some financial struggles that we're having or a, or a health challenge. I know sometimes I'll tell my wife, oh my gosh, man, my my knee hurts so bad. Wow, my knee hurts. And she'll listen to that for a while and then go, well, go do something. Go Quit complaining and just go to the doctor and find out what's going on, right? Amen. A lot of anxiety can be resolved by just solving the problem, right? Do we accept the new job offer? That can be a concern. Uh, just our crazy schedule, that can be a concern. But under the worry basket, the political climate of our country, wars and rumors of wars, crime, climate change, the economy, natural disasters, the price of gas, 
there's just a lot of things out of our control, right? And uh, we turn those things over to the Lord. And that is one of the right lessons. And so I think today, the way that I'd like to frame the conclusion of what we're going, what we're doing here as we talk about fear and worry is to talk about an intervention. This intervention will work for parents, for adults, for grandparents, but also is helpful for children and for those youth and for those young single adults, those young married couples that struggle with anxiety and fear. And it's simply this, that we turn to the Lord and we look unto him in every thought to doubt not and to fear not. This may seem like an oversimplified approach, but it's psychologically, academically, and of course, spiritually true. To look to Christ in every thought, doubt not, fear not. First of all, we look to Christ because Christ is the source of peace. He's the source of love and hope and faith and optimism. It's Christ who can comfort our fears. It's Christ who can comfort us. But also, if we're thinking of Christ, it's really hard to think of something else at the same time. I want to quote from my good friend and colleague, Brent Topp. And Brent wrote a book I recommend to all of you called When You Can't Do It Alone. And it's such an authentic book. Brent is writing about his experience as a mission president where he starts to have panic attacks. And he had to find answers to his significant anxiety that he was having as a mission president. And most of his interventions, in fact, all the interventions that he comes up with are gospel related. And I'm going to just quote to you from Brother Top for a minute. He says, the human mind is wired in such a way that only one thought can be in the mind at a time. Even though we may think that we are mentally multitasking a zillion different thoughts, in reality, we can focus only on one, one at a time, one thought at a time. The space between thoughts may be smaller than nanoseconds, but each thought occupies its own moment in time. Then he quotes Elder, our President Boyd K. Packer, Did you know that you can only think of one thing at a time? Did you know that every time you think a good thought, there is no room for a bad one? It is important to know, to know this because then we can give priority to significant and important thoughts. Well, once again, everyone, if we're talking about Christ or if we're thinking about Christ in our mind, you can't think of fear. You can't think of worry when you're thinking of the Savior. Let me develop this a little further doctrinally. But this idea of controlling our thoughts, and in academics, clinically, we would talk about self-talk. Self-talk, in my mind, the way I define it, it's, it's what we think about all day. It's those thoughts running through the back of our mind all day long. But from a gospel perspective, watch how powerful the mind is. Listen to Joseph Fielding Smith. He said, we should be on guard always to resist Satan's advances. He has power to place thoughts in our minds and whisper to us in unspoken impressions to entice us to satisfy our appetites or desires. And in various other ways, he plays upon our weaknesses and our desires. But be on guard, everyone, because... Some of those thoughts we're having that we think, oh, I think that's just me, or I, you know, I'm, I'm just making this stuff up in my head. No, Satan's a revelator, and that he can put those thoughts in our mind. In fact, listen close to Elder Marky e. Peterson. He said, we are enticed by the good, and we are enticed by the evil. This enticement is just as real as it can be, 
And just as surely as the Lord by his power puts good ideas into our minds and entices us by them, so does Satan put evil ideas into our heads and entices us by them. Satan is definitely a revelator, devilish and evil as he is. Yes, it is Satan who is a revelator. Now listen to Sister Julie B. Beck. It is Satan who puts hopeless thoughts into our hearts. He puts hopeless thoughts into our hearts. And then Elder Rendlin kind of built on that idea. Elder Rendlin Ensign, November 2018, Lucifer is the one who tells us that we are not adequate, the one who tells us we are not good enough, the one who tells us there is no recovery from a mistake. He is the ultimate bully, the one who kicks us when we are down. Now, once again, there are hundreds of interventions for fear, for lack of faith, for anxiety. I am only talking today from a gospel perspective about the power that comes when we understand our thoughts. First, when we understand that we can only think of one thing at a time. But secondly, when we understand that it sometimes it can be Satan who put those thoughts in our mind. Now, I wish I could read to you for the next 30 minutes, and I'm not going to, but I want to refer you to a book that had a huge impact on me. You can get it on Amazon. It's Dr. Dennis Deaton, Looking Unto Christ in Every Thought. And I knew Dr. Deaton uh, well when we lived in Mesa, Arizona years ago. I taught some of his kids in seminary and great family, great people. But his book on the power of our thoughts is incredible. And I'm just going to read to you for a little bit. And once again, friends, if you're interested, I can send you a copy of what I'm sharing with you today. Just preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. He's going to kind of start this off with kind of like almost a declaration like it's biblical, but I do I really do believe it's it's a revelation to all of us. So let's just just get in this zone with me for a minute as I as I read three through here. Hear it, O ye ends of the earth, any thought that tears you down, diminishes your sense of worth, questions your identity as a child of God, or urges you to doubt, belittle or berate yourself is not coming from you. And it is most certainly not coming from a divine source. It is coming from the depths of the infernal pit, from Lucifer and the household of Satan on the dark side of the veil. Any thought that diminishes a person's value is a satanic thought. Any thought that urges you to be critical, judgmental, or negative in any way about yourself or others is a satanic thought. Any thought that sows doubt about the reality of God, Heavenly Father's love for you, Christ's desire or ability to lift, empower, and save you from Lucifer's grasp is a satanic thought. How about this one? You ready? Any thought that discourages you from praying, studying the scriptures, attending sacrament meeting, worshiping in the temple, or magnifying your calling as a minister is a satanic thought. Any thought that fosters discouragement, depression, despondency, dejection, or despair are satanic thoughts. Any thought that encourages you to shirk, dodge, minimize, or rationalize your responsibility for your actions, reactions, sins of commission, and sins of omission, preventing you from repenting and progressing, are assuredly satanic thoughts. Now, there's so many of these. I, 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 let me just read another section here. Quoting El, uh, Brother Deaton, Any thought that fosters division and separation from your fellow man that induces you to be selfish, prideful, or disdainful is a satanic thought. Any thought that perpetuates ill feelings, 
promotes negative emotions, sadness, misery, loneliness, depression, prolonged guilt, or anxiety is a satanic thought. There it is right there. There's our revelation for today. This is me talking now. That any of that that induces anxiety and stress comes from Satan. Because remember, when it comes from Heavenly Father, it's good. It's not dark. Any thought that inclines you to postpone or forgo a righteous impulse or an act of kindness or compassionate service is a satanic thought. Any thought that tells you that change, repentance, or losing weight, or returning to school, or retaining, retraining for a better paying job is not possible or realistic is a satanic thought. Anytime you get the urge to honk your horn in frustration, curse, swear, criticize, or look down at another person, you're experiencing a satanic thought. Any self-pitying thought that encourages you to feel sorry for yourself, pout, whine, murmur, think your lot is hard, or to be self-indulgent is being prompted by the enemy of your soul. Any thought that keeps you from reaching out to others, giving someone the benefit of the doubt, cutting someone some slack, forgiving, forgetting, relinquishing or releasing hatred is a satanic thought. Any thought that justifies you, taking offense, holding resentment towards your church leaders, keeps you from enjoying associations and sociality within your ward or stake members that stops you from partaking of the sacrament, because so-and-so might be at church today is a satanic thought. Any thought that tells you that it's okay to take advantage of your neighbor, get something for nothing, cut corners when it comes to keeping the commandments is a satanic thought. How about this? If the virtues that qualify you for doing the work of the Lord are faith, hope, and charity, with an eye single to the glory of God, then any thought that counter those virtues and engender the opposite qualities, faithlessness, Hopelessness, withholding love and service, selfishness, pride, self-exaltation, and vanity are clearly satanic thoughts. Any thought that results in you being ornery, out of sorts, touchy, spiteful, cross, unhappy, grouchy, grumpy, dopey, and sneezy. Okay, we're being having fun now. But they're not coming from the mirror on the wall. They're coming from Satan, Brother Deaton says. Now, I think this is just such a revelatory experience, at least it is for me, to think of so many of the thoughts I've had over the years that have caused me to feel stress, fear, and anxiety. They're not coming from me. They're actually coming from Satan. And that is a powerful concept to know that we can rebuke Satan. And one of the greatest ways that we can rebuke Satan from our lives is to look unto Christ in every thought to doubt not and to fear not. I am reminded in a verse that many of us read have read recently because of Come Follow Me that sums it all up. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Once again, God does not incite fear. Our Heavenly Father doesn't do that. He incites peace and love and comfort. I'm so grateful for the gospel and the great perspective it gives us on fear and the great tools in our tool belt, so to speak, that we could uh, connect to in this day and age in which we live to help us fight and combat fear. Faith and fear cannot exist in the same mind at the same time. Joseph taught it. Many others have taught it as well. And so I know that there are hundreds of things that we can talk about when it comes to how to help someone overcome fear and anxiety. 
But parents, if you have a child that fears, if you have a, a teenager, an adolescent who fears and who lives in anxiety, teach them and help them understand the role that these thoughts, that our thoughts, play in all of this. Because it's incredible to recognize that with the Savior's help, we can overcome our, our fears and our anxieties. Well, everyone, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you so much for being with me today. If I say, uh, if we kind of end with let's do something, LDS is let's do something. One of the things I would say is, okay, examine your thoughts. Examine your thoughts this week and start to recognize how many of those thoughts actually come from Satan. And once again, if you're interested in some of the documents I've used today, then just email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com and happy to send anything to you that will be helpful to you and others. And feel free to share this podcast with other people. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on our website at preservingfamilies.org. I hope all of you have a wonderful week and we'll see you